Well, my name is Heather, and I have the privilege of being the children and family pastor here, and so I am so delighted to be able to be up with you all today. I'm usually out there with the kiddos. Well, to begin today, I wanted to begin with apparently what is a new segment in our time here at RCC, and that is an update on who is beating whom in the great game of golf between <laughs> our senior pastor, Todd, and the great Johnny Burns. So for those of you who were here last week, you heard Todd share that he, ever so slightly, and literally only through the grace of God, eked out a victory <laughs> against Johnny. But I am here to give you an update. The following week, everything went back to normal, and Johnny continued to dominate Todd. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll get future updates in the, you know, in the coming weeks. So why in the world do I begin with that? Other than a wonderful opportunity to harass our dear Todd, which in and of itself is a wonderful reason to do so. And in case you happen to be new here today, you might be wondering what in the world. I assure you this is his love language, so this is just job security for me, that's all. Now, why do I harass Todd? Because I would have much rather harassed Brian, but Brian is following me in preaching next week, so that gives him an opportunity for retaliation. So we're sticking with Todd. So why do I bring that up? Well, we are talking about identity here, and so Todd is a wonderful example, because fortunately, he does not find his identity in a, his ability to play a good game of golf. He finds his identity in Christ. All right, I'm gonna let him go. I'm gonna move on now. <laughs> And that is what I want for all of you. I want us to find our identity in Christ. So my question for us today is as we think of our identity, what are some things that come to mind? When we answer the question, who am I? So if we answer the question, I am, fill in the blank. What are some first things that come to your mind as you think about that? Do you think about roles you have perhaps? You know, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, I'm a daughter. Or do you think about perhaps characteristics or abilities? You know, I'm tall, I'm witty. Or do you perhaps think of maybe some negative things? Are those the thoughts that might come to your mind? Like maybe I'm weak or I'm anxious, I worry too much. What comes to your mind when you answer that question, I am? Hopefully, as those who treasure Christ, as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we do answer that with is, you know, I'm a Christian, I am a child of God. And so my question is, though, how does that part of our identity affect all the other parts? Because who we are, who we perceive ourselves to be, impacts everything. It impacts our thoughts, it impacts our actions, our choices, our relationships. So how does our identity as children of the Most High God affect all those things? Affect how we parent, how we work, how we are students? all the things that are coming at us in life, the culture and the world, how does our identity as children of God affect all of that? We are on this wonderful journey in Ephesians, and it has been a beautiful journey, helping us, Paul, helping us to understand who we were, but, all the buts that we like to point out, who we are now. And so my hope for us today is as we continue to study our identity in Christ, is that as we grasp the richness and the depth of who we are because of Jesus, that we would live into that more fully in every area of our life. So let me pray for us and then we will dig in. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you and who we are because of you. And we thank you for that identity. I pray as we continue to study your word that the truth 
of who we are, that you would wash over all of us, that it would sink deep into our hearts, take root, and just change our filters and our outlooks and our actions. Lord, we look forward to seeing you move. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're continuing in Ephesians, and the verses I have today are the end of chapter 2, and at verse 19, it begins with the word, so then. So it's very important we need to go right before that to understand what are we so thening. So we'll do a quick summary of chapter 2 so we can understand where we are today. Chapter 2 is amazing. It's a wonderful book, and in verse, a wonderful chapter, in the first verse, it starts off with, we are dead. And all I can think of is when Todd, dead, 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 like that's just what comes to my mind, which I think was his goal, so that we could understand how dead we were. No life, no joy, nothing. We were dead. But then, this beautiful verse, but God, rich in mercy, changed all that. We were dead, but God. And by his grace, we become saved. Through our faith in him, we are saved from the death and the consequences of all of that. And then we become his workmanship. This is beautiful as he continues. We, are, we have become his workmanship that he created, that he knit together, that he put together for good things. How wonderful for us to live into that. And then he turns here in verse 11 to the Gentiles. He was talking to the Jews. The Gentiles are basically everybody else. And he turns, therefore, so this is who you were, but God. Now you Gentiles, therefore, this is who you were too, again, but now. But now you are different. And because of Jesus, the last, what we talked about last week was that we all have access now. You know, we have this wonderful bad, wonderful, uh, wrong word, example of what's happening in Israel, but it's an illustration of the extreme animosity between the two. But in Christ, all of that's wiped away, and that hostility is gone, and we all have access. So what we once were, but God, now we are, and then we get into Ephesians 19 today. So let's read this together. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. I love these verses. These verses are so good. These make me so happy. They are so rich. You know, I'm getting married in two weeks, and I know, it's very exciting. And everybody's been asking me and asking Todd, why in the world are you having her preach right now? And really, it's not because he's being mean. I just would not let go of these verses. They're so incredible. So let's dig into them. First verse, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. We just need to stop there for a second. Strangers and aliens, these are not positive words. They don't have positive connotations. Think about the last time you entered into a place where you didn't know anybody. Maybe it was a new church, maybe it was a new class, a new school, maybe it was a new job, but you didn't know anybody. That feeling of walking into a place knowing no one doesn't feel great. It's so much better when we get to walk into places where we're welcomed and people love us. But being a stranger is something that you're not known. Nobody knows your story, nobody cares. Also, aliens, same idea. You know, that's in, you're in a part of another country and you come into a, a country that's not your own and you're an alien. 
So in this culture, the aliens got permission to live in their, that country, but they didn't get any rights or privileges. They just basically got to live there. So Paul is helping us to understand what we were, we are no longer, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens, and it's contrasted with what comes next, but our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are citizens. Because of what he's done, we become citizens of God's kingdom. And not only just citizens of that kingdom, we are part of the royal family. Think of the significance that comes with that as members of God's household. And so our first part of this identity as we're digging into these verses to understand who we are is the, we, this, our identity is based in adoption. And that is a beautiful thing if you sit in that for a second. To be adopted means we were chosen. We were chosen to come in to this family. You know, in that culture, people were adopted. And when kids were adopted, it was because they needed an, an heir to carry on the family name or to receive the inheritance. And so typically it wasn't done as a baby, as often is in our culture now, but it was for that purpose. And so for us to understand that, and that it, like that was what God, he chose us to receive his name, to receive his inheritance. You know, and it's, he's talking here to both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have some understanding as, uh, not fully, but some being cho God's chosen people, but the Gentiles, for them to be chosen and included into this, to be, have their identity based in adoption as a child of God, this is huge. This turned their world upside down. And so our identity, based in adoption, but let's keep going. In verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We'll stop there for a second. So the apostles, that was a limited position during that time. That was the disciples and Paul. That was this unique role that was held in the New Testament there at the launch of the church age, the launch of, of what we now know of, what we're living in. And the prophets are referring to prophets in the New Testament as well. So these aren't the prophets of the Old Testament that we think of that are prophesying the Messiah or, you know, telling Israel to change their ways or whatever. We don't have specific names of people necessarily that come to mind, but this is referring to people that launched the church. So that church, this is the foundation. These are the people. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And the cornerstone of a building is the very key part, right? It's the part that holds it and keeps it all fitted together. And so the foundation that we're talking about here is firm, is strong. We are, it's based on identity, but it is built on the foundation in Jesus. So that should give us security. That should give us confidence because that is, that is not something. Because of the death, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, this is what, this is who we are. This is what we get. It's not taken away from us. That is a beautiful foundation. Then it continues, the last couple of verses, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So let's pause there. A temple for the Jews, the temple was God's dwelling place. So that is where God lived. And in the Old Testament, when the Jews were wandering, that temple, that place moved with them because God went with them. So in their minds, when they think of God and where he dwelt, there's a place that they had to go to. And it was a great thing when they finally got to establish one, built one that didn't move, to have a permanent home for God. And so they would come to the temple and offer their sacrifices to repair relationship. And the priests would have to go in and take care of things, and the high priest would go into the inner parts. But this is where God dwelled. And so people, to, to connect or to interact with God, they went to the temple. 
And so what Paul is telling us here is that all of this identity, it's joined together, grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built. All of us, members of the household, are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is no longer dwelling just in that temple. Now he is dwelling within each and every one of us and within us as a body, which is really crazy for us to think about. The third part is that it results in connection. So if you put yourself into their position as they're receiving this message, like that paradigm shift turns everything upside down. When they had to go to the temple, like the holiest of holies that I was mentioning earlier, that was the place where they felt like God's presence actually was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. So the high priest would go in there once a year to offer sacrifices and to make atonement for him and all the people. And it's fascinating because I was looking it up. In Leviticus, it talks about all the things that he had to do to get ready to go into that place. Leviticus 16 specifically, if you read it, it's quite extensive what he had to do to prepare to go in there. And so this is what the Jews have in mind. This is the connection that they are thinking of. This is the dwelling place. And the spirit of the Old Testament, when they think of the connection with God, is this one of, you know, God is holy, there's this reverence, and there's this fear. See, as they prepared, as this high priest would prepare to go in there, he had to do all those things so as not to you know, cause any problems. Just before that, in Leviticus 16, we hear that Aaron, who was the first high priest, his two sons were consumed by fire because they made light of this. They did not take God's presence seriously. So these are, this is what the Jews think of when they think of the temple and going to the presence. There's this fear. There's this reverence. There's this, under, you know, that they have to understand as they think of going to God. But all of that is wiped away. When Jesus died and that curtain was broken, was torn in two, all of that is symbolizing now this identity results in this connection we get. And because we're a member of God's household, we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to worry about going through all these lengthy preparations to come before God. We get to come before him as our father. And this is a rich, rich identity. And there's a book that I was reading that uh, I just absolutely love, and I read it probably once a year or so. It's Knowing God by J.I. Packard. I just love it. And every time I read it, there's just new things that are highlighted in it. But he writes a chapter on this concept of us as sons of God, and it's incredible. And one of the things he says is, you know, it is a wonderful thing that we are justified before God, right? That is, means that our sin Jesus took the penalty of that. So before God, the judge, we don't have to receive the penalty of that anymore. He has justified us. We have been pardoned. So now we can come to him forgiven. And that is a wonderful thing. But he makes reference to, he's like, but adoption is even greater. And I want to read what he says because I just think it's incredible. This free gift of acquittal and peace won for us at the cost of Calvary is wonderful enough in all conscience, but justification does not of itself imply an intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In any in idea at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting, but contrast this now with adoption. See, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, 
God takes us into his family and fellowship, and he establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Oh, I just love that. That is our identity as children of God. You know, when I was growing up, I loved God. I grew up in a Christian home, and I had a wonderful modeling, and I loved God, and I wanted to be obedient to him. But I had this impression. I always wanted to do the right thing because I had this image that if I didn't, God was up there. <sighs> Heather, you know better than this. And it took me time, and still lots of undoing, and to understand, no, that's not. I think he more looks at us as, oh, my child, you just missed a blessing, or I want you to have this. You know, to, look, to see God as our Father changes, changes everything. And so because of the richness of having God as Father, there's so many wonderful things that we receive. And so a few of the things that come to mind. We receive a perfect parent. Now, as you hear that, there may be connotations of all kinds of things in your mind, because we have certainly not experienced perfect parents, even as wonderful as some have been. And some are nowhere even near being wonderful. And so the idea of a perfect parent probably raises some different things in your mind. Or maybe we think of our own for those of us who are parents. And I know there's very much times I think, I could just not seem to get this <laughs> right. There's so much to it. <coughs> Excuse me. But in God, we receive a perfect parent. Think about that for a second. For him, for us to be his children, to be in his household, for him to be our father, means everything that is happening in and around us, he's covering, he's taking care of. And in much the same way we do things for our kids that they don't comprehend, that is our God too. We don't always understand or see it all. We have the narrow lens that we like to say, he's got the God lens. So to have God as our perfect parent, I mean, you, you just grasp that. He's all knowing, he's all wise, everything he does is for your good because he loves you, he's interested. Now, we may make bad choices and sometimes go astray, but as a perfect parent, he lovingly tries to discipline or pull us back, never stopping to care. So this is an incredible thing for us to sit in the knowledge that we have. God is Father, who is a perfect parent. We also receive lavish affection. We spent a whole sermon, almost sermon and a half, really talking about the richness of that word for God to lavish us in his love. That is an extravagance that we don't experience. It can be so hard for us to understand God because we have just a limited human understanding. So we think of words, but God just blows these words out of the water. Having God as Father means we receive the love, the care, this lavishness from him always, no matter what we're doing. It's all to show us love and for our good. We receive a deep fellowship like I was talking about with the temple. That is huge, that we can just approach him at any moment and any time, and, and just as our father, we can approach him comfortably, securely. We don't have to be afraid or fearful of how he'll react to us. He can handle it all. He loves us lavishly, and so we get to have this fellowship, which is why he calls us into fellowship all the time, which is why he wants us to sit and spend time with him all the time so he could just overwhelm us with his presence and who he is. 
And when we go out and go about, we miss the depth of this fellowship, which is why it's so rich to pause constantly. I mean, we, we probably heard this. Jesus himself did this because of his love for his father. He paused to have fellowship with the father. And our father wants to have this deep fellowship with you. And then we also receive a rich inheritance. I mean, this word, all of this, everything is God's. And we are to inherit it. We are his children. Not only in the future, in eternity, but here. This is why joy is such a passion of ours. Because God wants to lavish us with his affection, give us deep fellowship, and has this rich inheritance he wants us to have an experience in knowing him. I mean, we grow up thinking we just have, we grow up oftentimes, at least I did, and I know sometimes we can default to this God is judge. But God is father. That's where all the joy comes in because he wants to give us so, so much. I love being outdoors in nature, and it's the reason I love like spending time with the Lord, I always go to this park or I go somewhere, is because I love the majesty of seeing God's world, the beautiful mountains, the snow-capped mountaintops, or the beautiful sunset. It just reminds me of his majesty. And when we see this incredible world that he's created for us and all the good things that he has designed for us, that's just a piece of this rich inheritance. And so this is an incredible thing, our identity as children of the most high God. And so to go back to the question I asked you earlier, how does this identity affect us? How does this identity as God's children impact how we parent, how we work, how we react to whatever comes at us? How does it change us? It should transform us. It should completely transform us so that our old habits and our old thoughts we're no longer content with. As we sit and embrace and walk in our position as part of the royal family, as part of God's children, it should give us a confidence to face anything, to face our jobs, to face the unknown, to face the questions that we're, we're looking for answers, to we should have a confidence as we walk throughout life and interact with people. This identity as God's children, it should give us a strength as we are going about our day, as we are dealing with things. We're not weak. We've got the God of the universe on our side. Right? He's our father. He has our best interest always in mind. That should give us strength for everything we do, even when we, things are unknown. This should transform us, and it should give us a peace unlike no other. This world is crazy. We all know that. We talk about it all the time, and there are so many unknowns, and we uh, per persecution could be all these things. But because we are children of the Most High God, we should have a peace facing it all. As we face unknown, as we raise our kids, that is what should overwhelm our hearts and our minds and our spirit. It doesn't mean that things aren't hard or painful or sad or confusing, but it means we walk with confidence, strength, and peace that carries us through that. And our identity should give us great joy. Great joy because of who we are and who we have as Father. Again, it doesn't mean that there aren't hard things, but there is this simultaneous Things can be hard, but we have this great joy that comes because of who we are in Jesus. One of my favorite quotes, I love quotes, so some of you may have heard this before, so I'm going to say it again, because this has been a very impactful quote for me. 
finished, but I was reading a quote, and this is what it said. As you face the unknown or the uncomfortable or the uh, unexpected, remember who your God is. And I was, when I first read that, I was going through a point in my life that was this summer, and there was a very specific need that had surfaced. And it was a very real and difficult, and I wasn't sure how I was going to deal with it or how, what, what really what I was going to do. And as it went on and on and on, I got a little more anxious, a little bit more worried. And as I was sitting and having time with the Lord, and again, another reminder, this is why we have to sit and be with the Lord so we can filter all these things through him. So as I was sitting and having my time with the Lord, this quote came across. And as I read it, when you face the unknown, the uncomfortable, the unexpected, remember who your God is. I just was reminded. It was like, okay, that's right. I don't know what's happening. You know, my shoulders kind of got back up a little bit. And I was like, okay, yes, yes, that's who my God is. That's who I am. And I kid you not, within 30 seconds, I'm looking at my phone reading that. Within 30 seconds, I see this email come across because it alerts. And this email is, is telling me how this need was now taken care of. And it just, it's going to make me cry now, it just brought tears to my eyes because it was just this reminder that God was like, this is who I am. I got this. You know, he didn't provide that need until that reminder had it came first for me remembering who I am and who he is. And so my question to you today is, what is that situation in your life? What is that thing that you're wondering about, that you're struggling with, that you're looking for answers, that is hurtful? What is that in your life that you need to remember who you are? Because we are children of the Most High God. We are members of the royal family. And that should change everything. That should keep us with our shoulders back we should have confidence, we should have strength, we should have peace, and we should have joy as we go out into this world, as we head into those situations. So what is it right now that you need to remember who you are? You are a son and daughter of the Most High King. And so I pray that you would walk in greater confidence in your identity of who we are now. So I'm going to pray as the worship team comes back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so grateful for our identity and who you made us to be. Lord, it is a great thing indeed for us to be justified, but to be your children, for you to have chosen us, that you would be our perfect father, Lord, that's incredible. And I know the enemy would not want us to sit in that identity, to embrace it, or to walk in that, so I just rebuke the enemy. I just pray that that truth would overwhelm all our hearts and all our minds and that we would walk through life encouraging each other and encouraging those we come in contact with as children of the Most High God, that we would remember not only who you are, but who we are because of you. Thank you, Lord, for your lavish love. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>